The rest of you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're focused on body life. What is the life in the body of Christ like? How does it work? And um, we, are, we come to 1 Corinthians 5, and 1 Corinthians 5 is about, in a sense, discipline in that body. What do you do with sin in the body? And it might seem harsh overall in some ways, and at the same time, there's a reason behind it, an intent behind it, that I'd like to bring out as we look at the passage together. Uh, because community in, in the world is, is a challenge just as much as it is a community within the church is a challenge. There's a, if, you, if you read articles about the, the social or the mental health of our world, there's a lot of uh, articles actually about loneliness and the epidemic of loneliness. In fact, even the, the Surgeon General of the United States has commented about what he calls a loneliness epidemic. Um, it's, it's especially seen, frankly, with uh, people who, who feel isolated and have, who have hard jobs. We're talking like mothers, for instance, right? We're talking uh, people who um, uh, are, are single or feel like they don't have a lot of community, but... Um, Actually, the Surgeon General commented this, what we see with loneliness and also with addiction is that when we feel shame towards some aspect of our life, it drives us further inward and chips away at our self-esteem. When you're lonely, what you need most of all is to reach out and connect with others, but the shame around loneliness pushes you in exactly the opposite direction. The longer your loneliness persists, the harder it is to reach out to other people because you don't feel you're worthy. This is why the downward spiral of loneliness is very challenging to break. Then he points two things in our culture that don't help with this. The first one, he says, is individualism. The idea that, hey, I can, I can handle life on my own for the most part, right? And, and, that, and that I should be able to do that. I should be able to work through life and, and be able to, to handle life on my own, to build my own life, so to speak. The other thing he points out is that uh, the pursuit of success and success being defined as acquiring wealth or power or reputation. All of those things that, in a sense, we're trying to acquire to ourselves, which again is about the individual, that, that pursuit of success in that definition or in those definitions produces more and more loneliness, actually, rather than a feeling of contentment and fulfillment and connection. There's a, a, a term out there that's called expressive individualism, that idea that, hey, I should have the right to, to live my life, to express myself, to, to show who I am, to be authentic to myself, and to, and, to call, and to call someone else's desires or practices sin is to be is, is sin itself for the expressive individualist. It's to say that you are repressive, to, to be repressive of someone else's desires is sin in their eyes. And they would say, well, how can you have good community when you don't judge people and don't tolerate people? Well, this morning I'd like to pursue the idea that in pursuing beautiful community, that is community that is flourishing and joyful and fulfilling, we need to pursue different things than the world pursues. And that means that we look at 1 Corinthians 5, we understand the heart that, that he is saying here, and he's saying there's a reason why that we deal with sin when it pops up. There's a reason why we pursue 
that together, and I'd like to kind of walk through that together. So follow along as I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles there. And verse 1 says, It is actually reported that, that, though, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, probably like his stepmom, like he married his stepmom. And, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And, so, and, and, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate this festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who here bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, a swindler, not even eat with such a one. For what I have to, for what I have to what have I to do with judging other outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This, this seems like a, uh, a challenging passage, a, a strong passage in dealing with sin, and it is. He's saying, look, the, the God, God calls Christians to be Christians, in a sense, to live for him. But, but in the process, what he's doing is he's setting up a certain type of community that actually flourishes. And that's what I want kind to of ex, kind of expound on and help you to see through this passage and also 2 Corinthians 2, where it's resolved. So the first thing I want you to notice that is that to pursue beautiful community, you need to pursue the sovereignty of God. You need to pursue the sovereignty of God. Now, you say, what's going on here, really? And it, it, it seems like... Uh, different commentators in, in researching what was going on in Corinth kind of described a Corinth that is very similar to our world today, right? You, you could live for yourself, you could do what you pleased, and their, their thought process was, was the gods are concerned about your spirit, your immaterial part of you, that matters to the gods, but the, the material part, what you do with your body, that doesn't really matter. You can do whatever you please. Now, Whatever you please, obviously, even in this passage, has limits. <laughs> because even, he says, even the pagans are like, this, this is a little too far. But the, the point is, is that they approached your, their lives as if, well, I've got to keep my attitude or my heart in the right position. It's, it's loyal to the right God, if you will. But what I do with the, the, my body, with my material part, fulfilling its desires, however they want to be fulfilled, that doesn't matter to God. 
And that's how the church, it seems like, was kind of boasting in a sense. He says, your boasting here is not good because they're boasting in their tolerance. They're boasting in their open-mindedness. They're boasting in their willingness to not let God be God, but instead let people do what they please. But, I mean, it it would seem self-evident, but it's not always so, that if if you let people do whatever they please, then why do you need community anyway, right? <laughs> like, why do you need to say, this is, this is important, these, these are the things we're going to hold in common that we're going to do together. And part of the issue here is not so much of, hey, th- this is sin and this is not, but that, that in a sense the believers in Corinth were letting the ideas of sin come into the church and say, hey, not, not sin is sin, but sin is okay, right? And he's saying, no, you have to stop that. That's not true. God is still sovereign over his world. Why is that important in a pursuit of community? Well, I ran across this quote by Christopher Watkins. He says this, God's control of things is not contrary to the responsibility of man. It is the very foundation of it. If God were not in control, he could not hold man responsible. Man is accountable to God because God is sovereign. He should obey God because God is in control of things. Moreover, man has significance because God has sovereignly ordained significance for man. Whatever responsibility we have found we have is founded on God's sovereignty, not in spite of it. Without God's sovereignty, man would have no responsibility. That last sentence there really struck me. Without God's sovereignty, man would have no responsibility. But the corollary is also true. Without God being sovereign, man would have no reason to go to God. (laughs) Does that make sense? Like, if, if you got a problem, if God isn't sovereign over the problem, if God isn't sovereign over your life, then why go to him, right? If he's not in control of it, why go to him? Find someone who is in control of it. If it's you, then you take control. If it's someone else, then go to them. But if God is sovereign, then we should go to him because we're responsible to him. A person's willingness to tolerate sin shows that he believes that God doesn't need to be obeyed. If God doesn't need to be obeyed, then none of us should come together seeking to do that. If, however, you want to solve suffering and loneliness, you still have to submit to God's control of you to solve those problems. If you're like, but I, I'm suffering here. This is difficult. But, and you're like, but some people want to say, well, God's not sovereign over my suffering. If God isn't sovereign over your suffering, then don't go to him with it because he can't help you with it. Sometimes I think we think God is kind of like us, like we, we look at, our, uh, at the suffering in the world and we revolt against it. We're like, we're going to stop the suffering. We, we hate the suffering. And, and, that, and then we, we look at God and we think God's the same way. Like he, he doesn't have control over it. He doesn't have uh, the ability to stop it really, but he's going to revolt against it anyway, you know. But no, God is sovereign over these things. He, he is in control and he's allowing it for different reasons Whatever, there's a lot you could dive into that, but the point is, if he's sovereign, you can go to him with it. Turning away from God as the one in charge of everything destroys your ability to find and enjoy anything. You will bounce between the poles of tolerating everything or accusing all the people around you of failing you, right? 
You're just going to bounce between those two poles. Why? Because you're not going to God really with your suffering. You're saying either, uh, we'll just gotta, we just got to let everyone do what they please, or we're like, well, everyone around me is failing me. Those are your two options. But if God is sovereign, you can go to God and be like, God, what do I do here? What do you want me to do in the midst of this? I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know you're sovereign over this. So what do you want me to do? Because you're the source of how I can solve this problem. I love the Grand Canyon. Been there a couple times. Gone down the paths a couple of times, not too far. The last time uh, was with my family. We had Annalisa. She was, she was only like, I don't know, four. And so we had to be very careful like how far we went because I knew I was going to have to carry her all the way back up the path. But I'm, I'm in the process of training for running. So during the wintertime when you're running, like you're, unfortunately you're running on a treadmill a lot of times, right? Treadmills are boring. You know what I mean? Like, the ability to run for a long length of time on a treadmill is like you just want to beat your head against a wall, okay? So what do I do? I, I, I put videos on the, on the TV of, of, of people running the Grand Canyon. You can go on YouTube. You can find these videos of people running the Grand Canyon. You know what I mean? They're on the path, and they're going along, and the scenery is the Grand Canyon. You know what I mean? It takes your mind off of it just enough, right? Just enough so that you can... Stay concentrated. But what I love about the Grand Canyon, right, is that it's, it's like, it's like a, a visual picture of God's sovereignty. There's so much more that God is doing in the world than I fully can understand. There's so many angles and there's so much depth and there's so many things that are hidden from view right now for me while I'm on this path. But, if I, but what is my responsibility? <laughs> my responsibility is to run the path. It's to stay on the path, step by step, doing what, what God wants me to do on that path, understanding, the, here's the big picture. God is sovereign. I don't have control over everything. I don't know everything. But I do know I can take the next step trusting him, trusting him, trusting him. And that is that, the way you have to approach life. You have to approach life from this perspective, so if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with, if, with going to God, get on your treadmill. <laughs> Put on the Grand Canyon. Yeah, just, a, just an idea, okay? I realize most of you are like, nope, I'm going to pass on that one. Um, but, but the point is, is that we need... We need to put into our lives visual representations, visual reminders at times of the sovereignty of God, that he is in control, that he is doing way more than I could see or imagine. He is doing more than, I can ex- than even I can expect or understand. But because he is sovereign, I can stay on the path. I can pursue what he is telling me to do. And that leads then to the chance to build a community because we're all looking to the same God. We're all looking to the same sovereign God who is in control of all of us, all of our suffering, all of our situations, and we're going to him, seeking to let him be in charge. And that's what Paul here in 1 Corinthians 5 is pursuing. He's saying, look, you can't build a community around letting everyone do whatever they please. Because ultimately, 
the whole community divides and fractures and falls apart. The other, another point that he's making here in, the, in, the, in, the, in building a beautiful community is that he's saying that you need to celebrate, to pursue celebrating grace. Pursue celebrating grace. Again, notice verse 6. Your, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, so you, are really, so you really are unleavened. For Christ, our pastoral lamb, has been sacrificed. Here's the beauty of it, right? Is Christ died for us. He made it possible for us to enjoy the grace of God. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leavens of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We need to celebrate grace rather than celebrating out-of-control desire because that's what they were celebrating. Let's build a community out of celebrating everyone's desire and to do what they please. I mean, does it sound like anything you've heard lately in the world today? Let's just build a community that celebrates doing whatever you please. And Paul is saying here, no, we need to pursue celebrating grace, the grace of God. Why? Why do we have to work at that and pursue that? Well, there are, Paul tells the churches in the New Testament that wolves will arise in the, in the, in the flock in the sense that whole, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing is, is literal for the church. In Acts 20, verse 29, he says, I know that after my, fierce, my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So you have, in a sense, two different groups here. One, wolves coming in, but also men speaking the wrong things, twisting the, the word of God. In Micah 3, 5, we get more insight into this, this approach Micah 3.5 says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. So here we have these, these people who are willing when, when they don't get what they want, when they, when they feel like they're, they're, not, uh, they're not provided for in the way they want, then they declare war. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also among the people will arose, that's the Old Testament people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. There, you see, they, they want to deny the sovereignty of God in the community, bringing about them, upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow the sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. They promised them freedom, in verse 19, Peter goes on to say, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. He's saying here, look, that, that these these people are coming in and they're attacking those who don't provide for them. And they're saying, we want, we want, we want this freedom, freedom to do what, what, the, the freedom of grace, in a sense. And he's like, but you're just slaves to corruption yourself. You're enslaved. 
slaves, in a sense, can't have community. Not, not in the way that free men can have community. But there is this twisted freedom of hidden desire that actually enslaves. You know, we're kind of at a time period where, you know, uh, for, at least for soccer, we're forming, uh, we're forming soccer teams, you know. And uh, it's, it's always this process where you're trying to help match coaches and teams, and there's always, from season to season, there's a mix. Well, in, in a situation that I, uh, I'm dealing with, a, a guy found out that he wasn't going to be able to coach the team that he expected to coach, you know what I mean? And it is disappointing, I've been there. So he starts, he, he starts this, uh, in a sense, this, this process of, of kind of rallying the troops in a sense and saying, hey, you know, I, uh, I, I want to coach. And they start doing this, this, these email chains to us as, as the board saying, hey, here's the, you know, we want this coach and not that coach, you know. That, that's how the world operates, right? They, they, they want what they want. And it, they're saying, we want, we want it, we want it in a sense, we want freedom to do what we please, but at the same time, they're willing to attack to get what they want. But that is not God's way. We must celebrate grace. Again, he says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're, we're celebrating grace. We're celebrating the grace that we have received. That is the truth that we have as Christians. That I don't deserve to stand here. I don't deserve to be here. But that God has placed me in love next to him. But you can't tell these stories. You can't celebrate grace if you're not paying attention to it. If you're only paying attention to your desire and how it's not being met, then you're not seeing the grace of God. You can't see grace if you don't know what God's word says and believe it and act on it. Now, I don't, I don't know who started the email chain. I don't know how it all played out. I do know that I'm just like that person who started the email chain. Except for the grace of God. God stepped into my life. Someone who wanted his own way. My mom likes to joke that when I was four, she had named me Will, and she thought, oh, this was a mistake. He just lives by his own will. You know what I mean? And that's where I would be, except for the grace of God. I, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. And, and I can step back from the situation and hopefully the, the coach who's involved can step back from the situation and, and we, can, we can see, you know what? This isn't all about me. This is about God's grace. And I can, I can revel in the fact that I at least have God's grace, that I know his love, that he is sovereign over my life, that he has given me mercy and grace and that even in my failures, in, in my weaknesses, he has still given me grace. That is the, the joy that we have as Christians. And we should celebrate it. We should rejoice in the fact that we don't stand with God based on our performance. Based on our accomplishments. Based on our lack of failure. 
We stand in God's presence because of Christ and what he has done for us. I am no different than the worst sinner, right? Paul even says, I was the chief of sinners, but I have received grace. Have you received grace this morning? Do you know the mercy of God? That he has stepped into your life and in your situation and, and you could have said, well, I could predict how my life was going. I could predict how, how it was happening and, and all the things. But then God stepped into my life and changed things because of his grace. Because he, he, he stepped in. The greatest picture of God's grace is at the cross. Christ stepped into history. Even though we had all failed, we had all rejected him, we we had all been enemies of him. And he died in our place, taking God's wrath, taking our sin upon himself. And that is why Paul says here, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We have this, we have this grace Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Let's celebrate the grace. Are you just taking some time? Just my encouragement would be I know we live busy lives. I was talking about this with my discipleship group this morning, yesterday morning. Um, I was like, what I've had to learn over the last couple years is. if you just try to keep running for grace, you're like, I've got to find it. I've got to get it. You're missing the point. It's, it's the grace that we've received. We, we need to step back. We need to take some time and just be quiet and remember what God has done. Notice what God has done. It's that, that Sabbath principle in a sense of, hey, you don't need to keep pursuing. You don't need to keep producing. You don't need to keep proving yourself. Step back and notice the grace of God in your life. And when we do that together, what joy we have, right? We get to celebrate the grace of God together. I, have, have you just met someone you know as a believer and just asked them, like, you know, how did God's grace work in your life? How did you come to know the grace of God? And, and hear their story and celebrate. Man, look at what God did. Or maybe it's just something recent where you're like, you know what, this is tough, this is difficult, but I see God's grace in the midst of it. We, we need to slow down. We need to notice those things and we need to celebrate and pursue celebrating that grace together. There's one last aspect of this that I want to, of this beautiful community that I want to bring out. And that's the, in the third point, pursuing the comfort of one another. And to do this, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, because after the church did what Paul had encouraged them to do or commanded them to do the the man involved at least repented and Paul references that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5 where he says now if anyone has caused pain he has caused it not to me but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you for such a one this This punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. 
So I beg you to, to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have, for, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we were not ignorant of his designs. Satan, again, likes to shame us and isolate us. He wants to use our failures and hold it over us and turn the community of grace into back into a community of performance. And here, Paul is saying, no, pursue the comfort of one another, not holding things over one another, but pursuing the comfort of one another by obedience to the truth in the midst of difficulty. Again, back to the sovereignty concept. Satan is in the business of isolating us and causing us to despair rather than to trust and to hope. That's what Satan is doing. But he calls us as believers to pursue comforting one another. You know, I was talking to my son. He's, he's, he said he was, he'd followed a little bit this atheistic uh, YouTuber who was vegan. And he had kind of made his stance on being vegan kind of strong, like I'm against the suffering of animals and I would never be vegan and kind of just put it out there, right, on YouTube. And at some point, uh, he decided that, you know what, for my health, I really can't be vegan anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, I'm actually getting, my health is getting worse being vegan than not, and so I need to reverse my stance on this, Okay. And he puts that out there and immediately gets basically canceled by all the vegan people in the world, right? Um, because they're like, hey, how can, you, how can you leave your stance? How can you do this? And, and you, you understand in some sense that that's true for any community. There Again, just like there's the sense of here's the standards. We need to keep them. But, but as Christians, we do something different. We seek to comfort in the, sense, in the midst of their individuality. We seek to, to, to know that, that they've suffered, it, that it's not just, okay, now that you've repented, it's back to no, normal, but, but in, your, in your sorrow, in your sin, it, that must have been difficult, that must have been hard, and I'm, I'm glad that you see that Christ is sufficient for you. I'm glad that you're pursuing that. This fall, we had kind of we had this issue where um, we had some security issues um, that were difficult or tricky to handle, and I, I, I didn't handle everything perfectly. And we were just trying. There was a little bit of tension there about it, and and uh, we got it resolved. It worked. Its, it worked its way out, and um, we were happy with at least with how we we come to agreement and, and provided some good, um, useful knowledge about how to do that again in the future. But a couple weeks later, Doug, Doug Houston came up to me and he's like, hey, see the whole process, uh, I, I realized you're not just a pastor, you're a person. You know what I mean? He's like, I, 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 I realized that, that through this whole thing that, that it made me pray for you differently because you're not just a pastor, you're a person. And it just, it just blew me away. I mean, that, to me, that's what he's talking about here in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2. He's, he's saying, we notice people. We see people, we don't just say, well, they, they're a Christian, they better do it the right way. 
or that they're a mature Christian, that of course they can handle this. But we see people and we treat them as people. We comfort them in love. We, we come alongside of them. We notice them. And this is what we want, is it not? We want a community that trusts God, that celebrates his grace, and that comforts one another in love, noticing the individuals and the needs that they have. And this is why Paul is saying we need to pursue the discipline of the church overhaul and, and confront sin when we see it. Because we want a true community centered on God, centered on his sovereignty and grace, and treating every member of that community as worthy of love and care. So the question for you is, is this what you want? Do you want that kind of community? Do you want community that celebrates grace, that, that notices what God has done? Do you want community that, that, that notices you as a person and cares for you? Then you go back and you say, what does God want me to do? He's sovereign here. I need to follow him. I need to look to him. I need to obey him. This, this is what the church is about. And they talk about an epidemic of loneliness. I don't think that's necessarily wrong even in the church sometimes, right? We get caught up in the things we're caught up in. Things get hard and we wonder, who knows? Who cares? Does anybody know? And we need to realize that what do we do? Go to God. We say, God is in control. God, what do you want me to do next? You've, you've exposed this in my life. You've helped me to see a need that I wasn't paying attention to. What do you want me to do with that? How do you want me to pursue this? And we celebrate the grace that we have received. We, we notice it. We talk about it. We, we bring it up with others. And when maybe they don't bring it up with us, we recognize that maybe they're struggling. That may have, they may have something that's burdening them down. And we, we comfort them in love praying for them, loving them, treating them as someone worthy of love and care. This, in the Holy Spirit's opinion, is beautiful community. And it can be only done when we look to God. When we celebrate his grace. And when we love one another and comfort one another. Will you do that? Will you follow him? This, we, we have the chance in a world that cancels people, in a world that wants their own way and wants to have this kind of loose association without actually caring for one another. We can be a light. We can be salt. We can be something that shows the true love of God and the true care for one another. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us because you saw our need and you were sovereign over it. You met our need by sending Jesus Christ. And if there's someone here who hasn't trusted in Christ, who doesn't know the grace that they can receive by faith, it's a gift 
that they simply have to trust that you will give them. I pray that they would find someone here and talk about it and find out how they can know for sure that they have received your grace so they can celebrate your grace. That we don't have to celebrate with evil and malice and deceit, manipulating people, but simply sharing your truth and sharing your grace together. And may we also comfort one another in love. This, is a, this world is a hard place. There are a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties. Satan is very active in our world. Help us to comfort one another in love because we have received your grace. In your son's name we pray, amen.